Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I have with me designer, illustrator, and author Jeffrey Everett, who has created designs for bands like Social Distortion, Foo Fighters, The Decemberists, Flight of the Concords, Gaslight Anthem, Lou Reed, The Bouncing Souls, and A Day to Remember. So pretty busy guy. You've also done work for companies such as Red Bull, uh, Simon & Schuster, uh, The New York Times, Washington Post. So welcome, Jeffrey. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm having one of those days where I got a rush project and I'm drawing hundreds of little boxes over and over and over again and, and hoping they turn into something pretty. Wow. All right. So how's your state of mind right now after doing oh, that? Uh, <laughs> littered around my desks is uh, copious amounts of caffeine and protein shakes. Okay. So, all right. I, I uh I have a friend who runs a gallery and we're doing a show all based on inner ear studios in, in DC that closed down, well, Virginia. Uh-huh. And so it's like, can you do a poster in like a day? It's like, <laughs> sure. And then I have another friend who's like, Can you do a poster for the band X? You have like a day? And I'm like, Wow, sure, I can do two posters in two days. So yeah yeah caffeine brings you a a long ways (laughs) so yeah you're you're hopped up you're ready for this interview it sounds like oh yeah yeah okay cool yeah if you want me to start cutting wrestling promos on you just let me know (laughs) cutting wrestling promos on me oh yeah i mean that so i (laughs) i uh work with a vast array of uh different types of people and i do a lot of work with pro wrestlers oh wow yeah and i don't know what's scarier punk rockers or pro wrestlers they kind of of (laughs) go together wow yeah that could be a whole other conversation sounds like yeah yeah yeah. well so let's see your company is called rockets are red Mm -hmm. and i read on your site that the name comes from a girls against boys song and you are like a super fan. Um, you've seen them over 50 times. Yes. <laughs> I'm like trying to figure out where you like, I know I've said that before and I'm terrified to figure out where that is. But, That's uh, it's on your site on like uh fun facts or something. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, when I was 19, and I had moved to DC. I was walking through the rain by the White House after seeing, I think, Velocity Girl play. And mm-hmm. the girlfriend at the time said, What would you like to do when you're older? And I said, I'd like to have a design firm. And then they said, <laughs> What would you name it? And because I was listening to Girls Against Boys, uh, you know, before the show, I was like, I think I jokingly said rockets are red. Yeah. And so I I felt like when I when I named my company, it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna rockets are red. That just sounds kind of cool. It also vaguely sounds like a penis joke. 
which I've only come to later when I've gotten odd requests from people. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe not the best choice, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a lot of layers to it, right? Because you got Ruckus Red Glare, right? You know, and I, mean, I don't know, like it, it, it could be a, a play on that too, right? I don't know. It's uh, it's a lot. I get a lot <laughs> of tags for the Houston Rockets. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, okay, sure, whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, I named the studio after girls against boys like went on hiatus uh-huh so i just was kind of like oh i'll never get a chance to work with them and then like they occasionally <laughs> pop up and, and do shows and i think i've scared the bejesus out of them by like begging to do work for them and when i finally got to do it um it went really well they were really appreciative and uh, i saw them play last october and they were like very nice and they were like oh like do you want to come backstage and hang out and i was like no not at all <laughs> and and they were yeah like they're a few years older than me and they were like what why not like we would like to hang out with you and i was like i've been doing this for 20 years and i think the amount of artists i've met who have been cool is like re- like really low and like most bands I end up meeting kind of let you down. And so I just have realized don't meet your idols. Oh, right. And I was yeah. like, I want to love your band. And so I did eventually hang out with them after the show and they were like the nicest people. Oh, good. Uh, like it, it kind of warmed my heart <laughs> how, how great they are. But um, Johnny temple runs a publishing company and he's like oh i heard you're putting out a book well you know we you know i could put your book out like why didn't you send a copy to me and i was like because if i sent a copy to you and you said no i'd hate your guts and you know i don't want to do that i don't want to have anything against you guys to me you were all perfect angels and like i just don't want to get that tarnished so yeah <laughs> Well, it sounds like at first that they were a little freaked out by you, by your enthusiasm. They're like, oh, we better uh, better let him do some work for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to like stalk them somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it sounds like it, it's all worked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your 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 impression of them wasn't crushed. So this is a, an exception to the, the rule of don't meet your idols, sounds like. Yeah. You it's know, good. like there are so few wins in this world that y- you have to you have to protect them. So, well, another, another fun fact that you have on your site is that you've watched uh, twin peaks, the complete series every year since it came out. Yes. So, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a wild guess that you probably haven't met David Lynch, even if you've had a chance to, I have not met David <laughs> Lynch. I have not had a chance to meet him though. Would you, if you had? Yes, but I, <laughs> I also know I would want to keep it really brief. Yeah. Just be like, uh, very nice to meet you. Thank you for your work. I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> like I, I've, I've had a chance to meet like Bruce Springsteen and think like you know, people on that caliber. Mm-hmm. And it's always very like, thank you very much. I love what you do. Have a great day. 
because <laughs> if you start getting into it and then yeah. like you learn they're like flat earthers or something, it's just yeah. like, oh no, right. no. Right. Like, like right now, I am working with Rebecca Del Rio, who was in Twin Peaks the third season as a singer. Mm. She was in the movie Maholland Drive. Okay. And like she uh if you ever see Maholland Drive, she's the one who sings um in the club Silencio. Oh, right. Like she's the nicest person in the world. And I'm just like, thank you for being so wonderful. <laughs> and like I, yeah. I went to Philadelphia to see she did a showing of Southland Tales with uh which was done by Richard Kelly, who did Donnie Darko. Mm. And like I got to hang out with both of them. Nice. They were the sweetest people in the world. Donnie Darko is like every goth emo, you know, movie like <laughs> goal ever. And Richard <laughs> Kelly is like none of those things. He wears khakis and he's like super nice and polite and really smart. And I'm just like, how did you make that movie? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I guess you can never really tell from the type of work somebody does how they're going to be. And often if it's really dark and twisted work, sometimes they're really like, like, you know, very vanilla people, you know, <laughs> you never know what to expect. They get their, um, they get their yeah, yeah's out doing the, doing the movies. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you have done some kind of work for Lou Reed and you we were talking about don't meet your idols. And of course, Lou Reed had a reputation for being pretty terrible to interviewers and there's some there's some pretty cringy interviews out there with him you know i don't know if you actually had a chance to meet him or did work after he passed away so i did one of his last ever like big big tours and it was right when he was work right before he did work with metallica Hmm. and so i did this one series of posters for him and it went really well. Like he really liked what I did. His uh, manager caught a few of the requests that he wanted uh, and was like, Jeff, do not put fuck the Pope on the guy's arm. We're playing Rome for like a week. You can't have fuck the Pope on the poster. And I'm like, all right, all right, cool. Uh, <laughs> when he, I will say when he sent, he sent me a signed poster and he wrote like fuck the pope on the guy's arm back in like he he drew it on and i was oh, like wow. very cool <laughs> but um he asked me to do a poster for his last ever tour i mean unbeknownst to him what would be his last ever tour and he asked for like really explicit like sexual stuff on the posters because it was going to be based on the Lulu record, which is all about a ballerina who gets addicted to drugs and becomes a prostitute. So we had, you know, I had all these sketches done up. He liked one series and then he wanted to expand on it. <laughs> and so, you know, he was very like, I want these to be X rated. I want them to be graphic. I want them to be explicit. And I was like, okay, you know, and it, it's basically like two women being intimate together. 
and there's exchanges of fluids. So I go and I, and I just do sketches and I send it to him and his manager. And like a day or so later, the manager contacts me and he's like, yeah, Lou wants to talk to you about the sketches. And I was like, okay. And I was in a different office then. It was really small room. And I put Lou on speaker and I'm thinking he's going to be really into what I, I came up with. And Lou just unleashed just a fountain of bile at me and just, you know, you are a dumb motherfucker. How can you be so fucking stupid to think I would want to see this? And like at a certain point, I just like put the phone down and just kind of sat back and like bathed in the venom of Lou Reed because it was just so like, it's kind of cool. I'm getting cursed out by Lou Reed, you know? And I just remember at a certain point I looked over and, and my cat Madeline was in the kitty litter going to the bathroom and like staring at me. And I just was like, yeah, I feel like I've peaked as a designer. Like this is either like the best or the worst that it could be. I'm just, I'm getting chewed out by Lou Reed while my cat defecates in front of me. Just not yeah. something that many people can say they've experienced simultaneously. Yeah. I just, <laughs> wow. And I survived. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it even made you stronger. It didn't kill I, you. I'd like, to, yeah. I'd like to think so. Yeah. But I, wow. I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked you about Lou Reed because, you know, you really, you really got the brunt of it, of his, uh, no, notorious, uh, you know, rage. But it's it's just funny. It's just like yeah. Lou Reed's angry at me, you know. I mean his his um I'm not speaking out of turn here. His assistant uh went from working with Lou Reed to working for um Lars Ulrich of Metallica. And like we've heard all of the stories about Lars, so I'm just kind of like you know, if, if if you're deciding to go work with a uh, notoriously opinionated person like Lars, you know, yeah. it has to be, you know, at least a better position than working for Lou. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a tough assistant. They're yeah. like a, they're like a, a different, different level of a, of personal assistant basically. <laughs> oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, she said like once they were in like, bulgaria at like 3 a.m and like lou wanted like a wheatgrass smoothie <sighs> he was like yeah you're in bulgaria at 3 a.m lou wants a smoothie that's your job make it happen and i was like yeah like you rock <laughs> <sighs> amazing yeah i that that's sounds like a whole other story you hear about how she made that happen yeah, it was a lot to get into it. But. It was a lot of it was a lot of phone calls and pleading and uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. some bribes. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> taking them across borders and you know all that. Wow. Wild. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's get into your background a little. Like, so it sounds like you you had aspirations to be an illustrator early on. Um with just you know especially so was it with particular does particularly with design work for for music for bands or what 
where were you at? Like when you were coming up, when you were first doing artwork? So I went to school. Uh, God, I graduated college in 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to an art school in DC and it was like very segregated between like fine art and design mm-hmm. to the point of like they were on different campuses like across <sighs> town from each other so it was like miles away in you know philosophy uh approach to school the whole nine yeah and for me i i grew up with a military dad and a you know mother who was like a you know, master's degree in English and communications. Like I grew up with, you know, a really defined work ethic Mm -hmm. as well as a like, don't do crappy work kind of mentality. And they, and they supported me, but they were also like, yeah, just remember like you, you can't always make money uh, painting stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, for me, I was like, I want to be able to live making art or at least being creative. And so I went into the design direction primarily because I just kind of realized like, I'm really not that great of a painter and I'm not really that, like, I think initially I wanted to be a comic book illustrator, but I could never Mm -hmm. draw a face the same way twice. So I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to do Superman uh, and draw him so it looks the same in every panel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went to, you know, art school for two years and I just realized like, yeah, you know, just I want to learn how to like write papers and be smarter. And the design approach at the school I went to was just very you know, draw little boxes and see how it makes you feel kind of (laughs) stuff. So I ended up transferring to American University where their design was, you know, it had illustration to it, it had photography to it. It felt like a broader approach and it really encouraged, you know, looking for concepts the computer was like the, you learned how to design on the computer, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal 25 years later, but it was, um, oh, yeah. you know, we still, you, you know, we had to get jazz drives and zip disks and stuff like that. And, you know, the internet was just becoming a thing. And when I graduated, it was like, I got, a job working for nonprofits and you kind of realize after a while, like at least for me, the next job I'm going to have working here is going to be working, doing design for nonprofits. The job after that will be a job working for nonprofits because it, you know, your portfolio builds on itself. And I was listening to like, alternative rock punk rock indie Mm -hmm. rock however you want to label it and i was like i want to do that you know i want to do finding cds and posters and websites and all that and so after a few years 
I ended up going to the School of Visual Arts where their design program was, for me at least, unique to everywhere else I looked. Um, and their program was called Designer as Entrepreneur. Oh, wow. Or like designer as author. And it was the idea of you can create without clients. Like we want you to be able to be self-motivated, to run a business, to bring your ideas into the workplace, you know, into the world actually. And so, yeah, I mean, I got to study with like Milton Glaser and Stefan Sagmeister and Paula Scher and you know, all these amazing people. And from there really was like, yeah, you know, I'm taking a screen printing class at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. It's like me and the teacher <laughs> and nobody else. Cause you know, when yeah. you don't, when you don't party, no one shows up for early morning classes except for you. And so, uh, you know, from there, I'm giving you a very condensed view of, of my backstory, but from there, it was like, well, I'm a designer. I'm taking this screen printing class. I just started reaching out to bands and saying, hey, do you need you need some free design work? And, you know, my first poster was, you know, I should have stopped right there, but it was for Firewater and Scott McLeod of Girls Against Boys. And hmm. it was just like two of my all-time favorite bands nailed it on the first swing. So Nice yeah well it sounds like you you got like a really in that program a really well-rounded kind of like the entrepreneur part with the design work um that sounds like it was a little unusual compared to other programs you looked at yeah it was it was very you know don't wait for the client to tell you what to do don't wait for someone to show you how to do it i mean yeah I moved to DC primarily, you know, the Discord records, do-it-yourself ethos. And SVA really kind of pushed that even more. And, you yeah. know, it's it's really eye-opening when you meet really famous designers who who are miserable because they're doing, you know, work for you know, whatever huge brand and they don't feel like they can exhibit their own personality, you know, but they're talking to us about like the, the business of it. And meanwhile, I'm working with like Gail Anderson from spot co or, um, uh, Chris, uh, I can't remember his name. I'm terrible with names, but, uh, Chris did the, helped run the company that did the show cranky anchors. You know, and they were just like, yeah, we're funny as hell. Um, and we're excited about graffiti and crude puppets. And we think other people would be too. So let's go find people who are into this stuff. <laughs> and, it. and it was just like, yes, let's go. Let's go find people who are into what you're into. Yeah. Go make cool stuff. Well, you know, when I'm looking through your work, especially your uh, band-related work, your style reminded me immediately of the guy who's done everything for KMFDM. Aiden, you know what I'm yeah, Aiden, Aiden Hughes. Hughes, yeah, he's the he's the fucking man. Um, 
brute yeah yeah I mean, he's got that brute is what he calls it right brute yeah, style. I, mean, <laughs> I i grew up loving his work and side story i got dumped in high school like three or four days before my prom oh. and instead of going to prom in the middle of nowhere massachusetts i went to go see kmfdm play in boston <laughs> wearing, way wearing a tux and like a <laughs> hat and like i had a little cane thing and uh yeah i was 18 years old and i was like yeah this is better than going going to prom oh hell yeah in nowhere yeah like, aiden is 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 freaking awesome i'm i'm friends with him today facebook friends he lives you know across the ocean and uh, we mainly talk about movies and how i'm wrong about all movies and he is right about all movies so it's a it's a good it's a good teacher student you know relationship sounds healthy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know when to shut the fuck up so yeah i mean he he his work is really dynamic oh yeah yeah that's wild yeah i mean he uh, and he's like the nicest most suave looking guy you've ever you've ever seen i mean he looks like james bond he he talks like james bond like he's just a cool guy but like he was one of those people where it was like thick lines, really bold colors. And what works is like when you're walking down the street in Boston and you see his work, you can recognize it from like half a block away on a t-shirt, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just so powerful. Oh, for sure. You know, and that his style is so, is so wrapped up with KMFDM, like, mm-hmm. like, like they're, they're so complimentary to each other, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, and, and it's been so consistent for like 30 plus years, you know, like it's done everything for them, right? Like yeah. all their album covers and all their, all their graphic design. I think he's done. <laughs> I think he did all of them except for the one album that had the hit song on it. And I think that's still haunts him today. <laughs> What's the hit song? Oh, it's like KMFDM hit song. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to look it up. I, it's Sister Salvation hmm. was like their one big song. And I'm looking it up. And I believe it is on the... Yep, hold on. On the Nile. Yep. I'm sorry. Juke Joint Jezebel. Where they ha- where they go be my sister salvation, um, but that was the one album that they did not use his work, and that that song ended up being their big breakout song. So <laughs> yeah, he's still kind of pissed about that one. Um, still yeah. a good cover though. But like what 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 amazes me though is like I do my illustration almost as a as a crutch because like, i don't feel like i'm an illustrator mm-hmm. like i feel like if if and this has actually happened to me like if you handed me a pen and say can you draw me a bicycle like i'm i'm fucked like i i can't visualize how to draw a bicycle whereas <laughs> like aiden or like 
Scott Listfield, who who we both know, mm-hmm. will draw not only a bicycle from memory, but it will not be like a two dimensional one. It'll be like three dimensional, and like people will be jumping off of it, and there'll be explosions. <laughs> and I I feel like with my work, I, I, it's very much like a labored process. Hmm. Like, like illustration is not. Like, I love it, but it's a real struggle for me. So, like, when I'm on Instagram and I see people who are like, oh, I can do the 30-second sketch. And it comes out, you know, like, they have the little uh, time-lapse video and it ends up mm-hmm. being this beautiful picture. I'm like, I I can't do that. You know, like, me illustrating something is a long, boring process that is not impressive whatsoever it looks good when it's done oh for sure yeah but like when we were doing the book um i had a wonderful man named carlos uh make little videos for us and he was like could you do like a time lapse of like you doing an illustration and i was like okay and he was like that wasn't interesting at all it was like (laughs) i draw something delete draw something delete do that like 50 times and i was like (laughs) fuck it i'll just like draw little boxes everywhere so i don't know i i kind of think that is interesting compared to like you know the these uh virtuoso you know time lapse where they get it perfectly you know i'd rather see like a a different process and somebody who kind of um you know has to fumble around with a little bit more but still comes out with great work you know kind of goes against the grain I mean, for me, great is a very subjective term. Uh, I'd say pa- passable for for me, but uh, passable, right? You know, it it's, but it, but it's difficult. Like, it feels like people only want to see the extraordinary now, and with that, it kind of cheapens the struggle and the experimentation. You know, like th- there, there's a designer I love who goes by Hydro 74 and he'll just be like, uh, I'm just going to do a quick 10 minute sketch. And he does it all vector. And it's amazing what he hmm. can do. And he he's he's such a craftsman and he he knows what he can do. He knows how to visualize it and do it quickly. But every once in a while, I'm just like, does this cheapen what we do? Does it? you know it, it it you know like a lot of the reason why i can charge the prices that i charge is cuz i have so much experience but if you're just saying like oh we can do everything in 30 seconds you know it, it, it the work just then becomes a product and like mm-hmm. you don't see all the other work that went into it behind the scenes to yeah. get yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you with that. And then, of course, also we have all these questions about AI creating artwork now and all that. You know, it's like, um, that's a whole other convo, too. But uh, have you have you seen the new thing with Photoshop that just came out? No. So you can do something. I saw like a little video on it. So like, say it's a picture of just a screenshot of you and I right now talking you looking fantastically handsome and professional me in my 
you know, flower hat and black t-shirt. And so I take a screenshot. I can then do a really rough outline around my shirt. You can go into Photoshop now and there'll be a command where you can type in um, business suit, uh, tie, uh, no tie, shirt, you know, unbuttoned. And it'll start populating images using AI into it. So it's like you're just doing away, you know, with so much, you know, need for, you know, Photoshop designers or yeah. stuff like that. It, it, I was like watching it going like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is going <laughs> to suck working with clients even more now. Cause they're yeah. just gonna come up with like AI solutions and then say either we don't need you or uh, can you make it look like this? Yeah, no, that, that freaks me out too um, from a writing perspective, right? Because I, I write, you know, and I get paid to write um, and uh, you know, with chat GPT and, and there's other really powerful AI writing programs that are basically just replacing commercial writing you know, yeah. uh, copywriting, things like that, uh, and do it obviously faster and, and way cheaper than any person can do it. So, you know, like the freelance writing world, just professional writers are, are kind of scared shitless right now too. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look at my kind of initial experiments with all these things has been that AI is really good at replicating and, you know, taking somebody else's work that's already been done and modifying it. And granted, a lot of art is that a lot of writing is that, Mm -hmm. but I, I've had certain ideas for posters. Like I just did a, I did a poster for skinny puppy. And it's a biblical angel, like a biblical representation of an angel, which is terrifying. Uh, They're called seraphim. And instead of feathers and eyeballs, I used uh, like circuit boards and like little digital chips to replicate Hmm. what it would look like. And for poops and giggles, I went into Mind Journey and I started, you know, doing prompts. And it doesn't always sound it, but I'm actually kind of a literate person. So I was like doing all these different prop prompts to see if I could replicate what I wanted to do. Cause I was, I was stuck. Like I was just like, this is what I want to do, but I can't quite visualize it. And it could not do it. It, hmm. it, it just went, you know, it would show me feathers with like circuits in it. Or it would show me, you know, eyeballs in the middle of a circuit board. It couldn't really do something that hadn't been done before. And I think like that's almost like the saving grace yeah. of, you know, it can replicate, but it won't do anything that has a soul to it. Yeah, that's what I was about to mention, because um, way back uh, when I first started Interlocutor, one of my first interviews is with this jazz pianist, uh, Dan Tepfer, who's also um, a computer programmer. And he developed this whole algorithmic AI program that he could jam with on the piano. 
and he recorded a whole album with it called natural machines. And I interviewed him about it. And this is actually maybe three years ago. Um, and, but I, I asked him cause he, he's jammed with like really, you know, obviously fantastic, you know, human <laughs> jazz players, you know, and I asked him what it was, well, you know, like just what it was like in terms of uh, how it felt um, or the differences of experience um, for him to jam with this program that he had created, who was technically perfect musician. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and was also, you know, because it, the way that he programmed it was responding to what he was playing. And then, you know, it was a communication, um, the way that, you know, jazz musicians communicate when they, when they jam. Mm-hmm. But um, he said basically the same, like when I asked him what the difference was between, you know, jamming with a live musician versus this program, it's just soul. He just said it's soul. There's something, even though technically it sounds perfect and um, for a lot of years, unless you were really well-trained, you might not even be able to hear the difference. There was some kind of essence lacking to it, you know? So, yeah, it's just, and there's, so with what, yeah. with what AI produces is still kind of, um, is uncanny to the human ear or eye in a lot of ways too. There's something missing, but it's, it is kind of hard to articulate, at least for me, like to put your finger on exactly what is missing. Um, and, and of course, and you, what you just mentioned, that was something really specific where it was, you know, you're asking to do, to do something very original too. Um, we're not quite there yet, but yeah, there's a lot of implications with it. <clears throat> well, I think what you're, I mean, you said uncanny, I mean, there, there's that term uncanny Valley Yeah, yeah. where you don't, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know, it's wrong. You know, it's off. Yeah. And that's, that's how I see a lot of the AI work. It just, mm-hmm. it doesn't have that something to it. You know, like mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, there's been a few like jam bands that have tried to use AI work to do gig posters. Hmm. And on on one level, like, you know, they're, they're fine looking, but they feel they don't feel elevated. They, they, they feel like, Oh, I mean, this kind of looks and feels like stock art, you know, mm-hmm. just, it doesn't represent, you know, it represents like a generic version of a band. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then their own audience got really pissed off about it, you know, cause people were like, Oh, who's the artist behind this? And they were like, Oh, we're trying AI. And people got really pissed off. Yeah, it's a contentious thing right yeah. now for a lot of people. Well, um, like, well, like I went through, I found a, a a band that did AI generated death metal, <laughs> and it was like I'm I, I'm intrigued by death metal for the aesthetics, and I'll put some on sometimes just because it's so repetitive that it I find it oddly soothing. Huh, yeah. And I I put the record on and I was just like yeah, like this is interesting but it it's like what you're saying like it just doesn't have I guess for death metal you'd want a lack of a soul not not really a soul but it it, it was like yeah, this just doesn't feel right, you know. So it can't even it can't even do a lack of a soul. Yeah. Soulfully. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, yeah. it was it was too crisp. It needed to be yeah. colder. <laughs> Fowls of hell. 
Well, you know, looking through like some of your work, um, so you, you definitely have like a set style, but it really is kind of, a, you adapt it a lot, um, you know, into different, uh, you know, it, there's a, there's a range of like content, um, you know, in terms of what you're depicting, but there's a recognizable style. Um, what are, what are some of the challenges with that for you? Um, or, or, you know, how do you approach that? Like in the sense of like, um, not being too self-conscious about maintaining your own sense of style while also, you know, like trying to find something fresh for whoever you're working with. Well, well, it's, I mean, one of the things is that I'm assuming you're going through like my website and whatnot and looking at, mm-hmm. at stuff for social media and it's weird because, you know, I just got done. The book is going off to print in about 10 days. And the book has over 350 concert posters in it out of roughly 425 to 450 concert posters that I've done in 20 years. And that doesn't include the 300 gallery pieces I've done that are not music related. And so, like, putting all of that up on a website, you know, I don't know, close to, like, 700, 750 posters that I've done, like, I kind of basically choose the greatest hits when I put stuff up there. And so I think maybe there's a little bit more cohesion with what I'm picking to, to put up there. And I guess that's a really long way to say, like, one of the things I pride myself on is that I kind of don't have a style. Like there's a way that I draw and illustrate. Like I really, I really like thick lines. I Mm -hmm. really like big fields of color. I like halftone dots, you know, I, I like, you know, certain things, but like I've done a wide range of concepts within there, you know, mm-hmm. like when I, when I first started doing posters, I did like what I call designy posters where it's like, Oh, this is what a design poster is supposed to look like, you know? And then, and then kind of over the years, I got more confident illustrating and I kind of had to because I started working with uh, Gaslight Anthem and their work, like their music is very story-like. It's very capturing specific moments, you know, talking about riding around the Ferris wheel, sleeping on the beach, walking on the boardwalk and trying to capture those in like a, in a, again like designy way you can't really do and and so with that one of the issues is like i don't want to draw just generic answers to things hmm. which i've definitely i'm totally guilty of it i'm i'm you know i i i've used that before to great success but it's like i don't want to just draw cute girls I don't want to just draw skulls that are on fire. You know, <laughs> I, you know, and I've done that and they look awesome. 
but I also want to go, you know, I want to come up with a solution that fits best for the band. Right. You know, I don't, I don't want the poster just to be, well, let's take this band and fit it to what Jeff does. I want it to be, let me take what I can do and best represent the band. And, gotcha. Yeah. You know, Gaslight Anthem and Ravenettes are two very different bands. And the way that you work for them should be completely different. And so like that, you know, that for me is what makes it really fun. Yeah. Like, like I I did a, I was telling you, I was working on a poster for a gallery show and it's about inner ear studio. And it was like, all right, how am I going to do this? And I literally just, photocopied a whole bunch of pictures of inner ear studios took out a you know my exacto blade cut them all up and did like a a a photo collage on a you know on my light board and it's like i had never done that before but it works Hmm. perfectly for this yeah you know and then i'm working on a poster for x and they wanted a car on fire and so i'm drawing a car on fire and (sighs) you know but with that I'm using, we're going to be printing it on holographic paper. So like Mm. the X that's going to be the, um, the hood ornament, it's going to have a reflective quality to it. So it pops out. So it's like you, you find what makes those, you know, what, what makes those projects interesting and you just really try to push it. Yeah. With, and, your own kind of style but yeah like you're you're almost using your style i don't know if template's the right word but you're you're trying to draw out the essence of a band itself and 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 within kind of like the template of your style yeah articulating that i look at it as like i have 18 by 24 inches and i mean my two ways of looking at it is a poster is not a t-shirt. And yeah. and what I mean by that is a poster should be something that you can look at on end for a really long time and still catch new things. Yeah, because it's going to go up on a wall, hopefully. People yeah. are going to hang on to it, yeah. And a, a t-shirt is a 30-second walk-by. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people confuse the two. And so for me, you know, one of the things I really like trying to do is I always reference, you know, my my favorite posters are ones where it feels like a, a really good scene in a movie <laughs> where, you know, maybe the couple just got done fighting and then it fades to black and then they're going, you know, the next scene is like they're on a bike. I want to be that cut scene, you know, I want to. <laughs> I want to have a before moment and an after moment when you're looking at a poster that I've done. And, you know, all right. So there's like a narrative element to it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you can't do that with every poster, but like the ones that mean the most to me are the ones where I can do that. Well, and you, you've been fortunate enough to work with so many different acts, you know, the, the, there's such a wide variety of work. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, the KMFDM guy, Aiden Hughes. Aiden, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
what other design work has he done? Because I only know him from KMFDM, and I feel like the work that he does kind of fits perfectly with their their music, you know. Um, so it's kind of a maybe a different approach than what you're you're taking. I have no idea. I'm just spitballing here, speculating. I mean, he really has a look. Mm-hmm. And he does everything from like graphic novels to like murals to like custom portraiture. Mm-hmm. Like he he really like people go to him because he does that thing really well. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a blessing <clears throat> and a curse. Like I clearly, I don't know. I I like thick lines. I like you know flat color, but like I feel like people hire me because they can trust that the solution that I'm going to do is going to be about them. You know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I I went to go see a band that I used to work with play you know four or five months ago and i and i looked at the poster that they had done and i was like you could take that band name off and this could be for any band Hmm. and that's the disappointment you know like that's the taking advantage of your audience because you know that a lot of people will buy it because they really like the band yeah yeah but are they buying it because there's a connection with that poster, with this moment, with how the lyrics make you feel, you know, like for, for me, like, yes, there are people who listen to vinyl now, but not as many people as you think. And when I was growing up, I had my little CDs and I'd flip through and I'd read the lyrics and I would, you know, sometimes some of the CDs came with a little fold out poster that was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> 11 by 17. Yeah. You know, and like, we don't have that tangible relationship to the music as much anymore. No, and I, and I th- no. you know, I, I think, uh, you know, upper, you know, people who have disposable income will buy the $30, uh vinyl but a lot of people don't and so they'll go to the show and get a and get a $45 concert poster and if it means something to them they'll put it up and i feel like it is your service as a good designer to make a piece of design artwork that's going to like live with people you know yeah yeah for sure like, and like I have, you know, I I have a huge flat file of posters. I swap in and out. You know, right now I have like seven swans posters up on the wall. Mm. My kids come in and look at them and they're like freaked out by them. But I'm just like, <laughs> these are amazing posters. And each, you know, um, like I think his name is Justin Ward. I have like three of his posters up or, or Jason Ward. And like I can't find anything about him anywhere. He just does these amazing posters mm. and like just lives somewhere, probably doing something much more exciting. But his posters are terrifying, you know? <laughs> and then I have posters by a design company called Crosshair. 
And like their swans posters are just like weird and mysterious, you know, brutalist architecture, you know, and it's just, yeah, like I want to stare at this weird building that looks like it's a guillotine, you know, for hours on end. So because this could only work for this band. It's making me think of um, Raymond Pettibon, too, right? With those yeah. Black Flag posters, those which yeah. are so intrinsically entwined, I think, with with Black Flag at that time, right? You know, the look of them, and of course, they're they're very text heavy, yeah, right? And they're really, you know, fucked up and disturbing, you know, and like they fit perfectly with the whole kind of yeah. feel and you know, like uh, the thematic th- thematically with the band. Yeah, um, but you know, I saw a big retrospective of his work a while ago, um, a, a few years ago actually, um, and I didn't realize like how much beyond that he's done. Like he's a really good fine artist. Like he's done these gigantic paintings, like a whole wide range of work. You know, I, I, I was about to ask if you saw that retrospective. Is that like what MoMA fifty one or something? I saw it at uh, the New Museum. That's this could it. have been like four or five years ago, I think. Yeah. I taught I brought my I brought my kids to that. <laughs> and people were like taking pictures of my, you know, at the time, like nine and seven-year-old blonde-haired kids, you know, in front of like a Jesus Christ with a boner, you know, picture. But my <laughs> kids don't know what the hell they're looking at, but people thought it was funny and they kept taking pictures. And I had to like go up to him and be like, dude, like erase the picture of my kids. Yeah. But like Pedobone, like he is just that guy. I wish like it's either amazing or it's terrible. He's so like exceptionally talented and gifted and has these, has this vision in his head where like, I remember I listened to like a Rollins spoken word thing and he was just like, yeah, Raymond would just kind of go into his room. And then like a couple hours later, he'd walk out with like a whole book full of, of pictures. And like, I can't imagine yeah. like the mental toll that that must have. of just like always having that stuck in your brain. Like, I, like I get one or two ideas in my head and I become obsessive about them. Yeah. I can't imagine like what, what his brain must be screaming at like <laughs> all the time at him. It's gotta, he's gotta get it out. And that's why it's, it's a massive amount of output. Oh. Is it, so is it Pettibone? Did I totally butcher his pronunciation? Sound, fuck it. Sounds it right Pettibone? to me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, but it's like, dude, like when I was in art school, it's, you know, it was like, it's not Van Gogh, it's Van yeah. Gogh. Yeah, right. And you're like, shut the fuck up. It's Van Gogh, all right? <laughs> yeah. Pettibone, Pettibone, whatever. It's that dude, <laughs> all right? The black flag yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, um, I, I saw the, I saw this, like, tweet or something, you know, reposted where I was like, what's his name? Jerry Stalls? Saltz? He's like the big, some big... Jerry Saltz. Yes, yeah. he's like... Am I going to get you on a shit list if I say this? Well, I don't know what you're about to say, but oh, go for yeah. it. Let's do it. He, he, he basically <laughs> he posted something, and I think I know what he was trying to say, but it was like, 
all you artists out there who who think people are thinking about you, they're not. And I was just <laughs> like, you know what? Fuck you, because they're you know, people think about artists. And yeah. you know, I am a minutiae in this in the social media world. Like I don't I don't put myself out there like that. And I get weird emails all the freaking time randomly from people. The the one I got today, I've been talking to this guy for like three days about the skinny puppy poster. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet guy, just nice guy, super polite. Hey, I wasn't able to get the poster. You know, I'd really love it if you can get me one. You know, I I was traveling with the tour. I just, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I don't have many left. Just don't throw it up on eBay. Cool. And then I realized, oh, that was Paul Barker from Lead Into Gold, who was the opening band, who also was in ministry. You know, <laughs> and it was just one of those like, oh my God, I was talking to Paul Barker from ministry, you know? And like, <laughs> he was thinking about me, you know, and he was thinking yeah. about art. And, you know, like the whole thing about AI and, all of that is that unfortunately like all these creative endeavors have been reduced down to the you know the term uh content we're just yeah. making content <laughs> and like that just belittles everything that we're doing well i'm going to be sure to uh when i promote this interview um to say that you talk shit about jerry saltz please and then i'll tag him and you know all publicity is good publicity right yeah and so. he'll be like who <laughs> Who? You know, wow, <laughs> yeah. No, I want. I you know, I want. I want Jerry Saltz to be thinking about uh, you and me. You he, know, <laughs> he did. He did a fucking like art reality show. Oh, really? and, and that's like the only reason why I even know who he is. And I remember watching the show and just being like, "You all are terrible. This makes me hate the whole fine art world." <laughs> I, I'm gonna go back to drawing my my little pictures and uh not being concerned about the size of the teacup I'm putting a tampon in. <laughs> yeah, I mean this kind of leads in. I was gonna I was gonna touch on like your thoughts on the difference between like whatever quote unquote fine art gallery work versus commercial graphic design and all that. Um I'm sure you have opinions about that. And then you, you know, you initially went to a school that where it was completely divided. It sounds like, right. You said there are different campuses. Yeah. I mean, so we had a campus. um, So it was the Corcoran school of art. Yeah. I'll say it. I'll burn a bridge. Um, It was the Corcoran school of art, which is right by the white house. Mm -hmm. And then the design department was in Georgetown, which it's basically like, several miles apart and for me i remember walking into we we would have class maybe once or twice at the main campus which was in a museum i mean it was a beautiful campus and walking in and i remember a kid in front of me was partying way too hard that morning and just vomited all over himself just full on bazooka barfed everywhere. Beautiful. 
And he stopped and looked down at himself. And he was like, this is my art piece for today. And he literally (laughs) went in and and pitched it as like a performance art piece. And I remember just being like, (laughs) yeah, I'm fucking done with it. (laughs) And, you know, like, I think when you get into the minutia of any genre, you start getting like little factions of stuff. Yeah. You know, like I talked about black metal before. Well, like I know people who love black metal, but hate death metal. And those two people both <laughs> hate metal core. And then all of those people hate noise metal. And like, most people are like, what, what are those things? You know, yeah. it's like we, we break down into these little factions, which, you know, with gatekeeping and all that, I, I, for me, um, I, I was out in San Francisco uh, about three weeks ago. I got hired by Iggy Pop to do a poster. And that poster was only supposed to be for one show and then became like the tour poster. And they were like, hey, do you want to go see Iggy Pop play in San Francisco? And I was like, he's my dad's age. And, you know, my dad's lived a pretty clean life. Iggy, you know, the fact that Iggy is walking is a reason to celebrate. So, fuck yeah. I I flew out the family to see Iggy Pop in San Francisco. And... Before we saw him, I went to like an art market and it had like Shepard Fairy stuff. It had Mr. Brainwash stuff. Mm -hmm. It was making fun of Banksy, which also Mm -hmm. had stuff there. And it had artwork that was going, you know, this art market, which was huge, had probably like most of the art there was like anywhere from 20,000 to like a half a million. And I remember just kind of walking around and for sure there was amazing work in there, but about 95% of it felt really cold. Like mm, it, just, mm-hmm. it felt like even now, like Banksy work is great, but it just feels like trite. It just kind of feels like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. And it feels like t-shirt artwork. So like later that day, I went to Amoeba Records mm-hmm. and I went to Super 7 and I went to Silver Sprocket comic book store and I walked in and I saw work that was, you know, anywhere from five bucks and the uh, Frank Kozik rest in peace poster that I saw in Amoeba was going for 300 and I totally wish I bought it. And I looked at it and I was just like, I can see the soul in this. Mm-hmm. I can see the person at their kitchen counter drawing these messages, writing these stories. And like, ultimately, it's like, I spent a fair amount of money at both places buying, you know, all those places buying artwork because it felt real and visceral and important. Mm-hmm. And I needed to know these stories and share them and own them and support the artist, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, fine art to me is just, 
you know, like I have seen some really amazing bands play to like 50 people. And oh, sure. I, yeah. And I've seen people in those, you know, in, in those small venues dancing and crying and have the, having the time of their lives. I've seen those same bands that were playing, you know, basement shows in Jersey get really big and play 6,000 sold out in DC where people are just standing there with their arms Mm -hmm. crossed because what was once vital to that band is now just a way to pay alimony. You know, they're not, they don't have anything new to say. Mm -hmm. You know, they're still waiting for the woman to, to save them. And like that's like the, the that to me is like almost the difference between like the the fine art world and like the the art world that I like, where it's just people need to get this stuff out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll you know I'll end it with this: like I I went to go see uh, Kehinde Wiley, who. Uh, is most famous for doing the amazing portrait of Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And I saw him at the, the big museum out there. And like, I damn near wept looking at his stuff because it was just so beautiful and Mm -hmm. had such a message and it had such, you know, importance to it. Mm -hmm. And, And like, that to me is like everything that, you know, quote unquote, fine art is where you just look at it and you're just like, fuck, you know, some, some mortal person created something this beautiful. So, yeah. Well, you know, to, to kind of like loop back, um, because we, you had mentioned Scott Lisfield, who I interviewed, um, and, uh, it was about his show. He had this show at a gallery in New York called AM Gold. Um, oh, yeah. and all music, related kind of like these uh sort of alternate universe album covers almost or posters you know <clears throat> but we talked about the, the the lack of like physical media now you know associated with music and that how kind of unfortunate that is you know and how important it, it, much more important it used to be you know um you know especially uh pre-streaming obviously uh, and then it got smaller and smaller going down from the vinyl taste to see you're talking about, you know, getting CDs and then, you know, getting these posters that you could fold out. But that's just like almost entirely gone now for most people, especially anyone like, you know, under 35, I would say. Yeah. They don't even associate artwork really with with music. Um, but in, in kind of your own way, you're almost like holding on to that or pushing back against that or trying to still like create like uh, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, visual tan tangibility to, to, you know, music in a way, um, which is, you know, good. You gotta, somebody has got to keep doing it. Yeah. I um, mean, I just want to say Scott is a fantastic guy. He, uh, very nicely, I, he invited me to be a part of a show he was curating and ended up writing something really nice about the, the piece that I contributed, which was all about going to buy records at uh Newberry comics in Boston. 
And he was really jazzed because he used to do the same thing unbeknownst to me. Hmm. And so, but I mean, his work, you know, I, I love it because, you know, he, he does like the little astronaut guy looking at stuff. Yeah. And that's how I feel most of the time. And, you know, he, I mean, he, he does that thing. You know, like that is his thing. But like with the with the show you're just mentioning, it's like every piece felt different. You know, he mm-hmm. had a through line. But like every piece was like unique. And, you know, he did one um, that looked like a mixtape. And I just, you know, and like mm-hmm. the one for Sabotage and. Yeah, like yeah i love that's my favorite the the sound yeah. <laughs> and in you know like i have a friend named alex ekman lawn and he's one of those people where i'm always just like you should be richer like <laughs> your your stuff is amazing like you should sell your work for more for more money and like i mean i say that and then i follow it up with like but only after you sell me stuff but like this is one of his pieces right here and he does like three dimensional, like, I mean, this is just a postcard, but like he does like three dimensional where like each layer is cut into a collage. And so it becomes like its own little, you know, depths of hell or what, however you want to. And I just, you know, like that's his thing. But again, it's like, you, you know, you, you find something and then like you work it so it's just, every time is it it gets better and better and better so yeah i want to mention that so we're not we're not doing video with this um and uh i talked to so many visual artists so what i always do is i put up a page on the interlocutor site associated with the uh the podcast interview um so i'll uh link to your site link to your work and then also the image that you just held up in front of the camera that no one, no, none of the listeners can see. Um, maybe I can embed that to or link to it yeah. or something like that. So people know, know what you're referring yeah. to. Um, and so before we end this, let's just talk about your book that's coming out. You've got a compilation book mm-hmm. called let it bleed. Yep. Um, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was entirely funded by Kickstarter. Yes. Which we, is incredible. Uh... Well, initially I was like, no one's going to want to care. Uh, I'm going to sell two copies of this one to each parent. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't want to saddle my kids with like 800 posters. So like, this is what I can do for my kids. So if I die, they can just burn all my posters and be like, look, we have this book. Um <laughs> So, yeah, like I initially uh, I'm working with my friend Joe Procopio from Picture This Press, who does like um, he does a lot of like collecting old artwork and then republishing it like forgotten artists. (laughs) And so, like, you know, Jeff, no one knows who you are. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, I I kid. But, uh, you know, we wanted to do like a. I was just like, listen, I don't know if anyone's interested in this. I'm interested in it. And I just want to put out a book that I don't have 
any regrets about. And so he was like, yeah, you know, we both have some money saved up. Let's just put out a really good, a really good book. And so we put the initial funding goal um, was $12,000. And we hit that in two hours. Yeah. And then after that, we got up to $57,000 by the end of the Kickstarter. And we were kind of like, oh, everybody does stretch goals. And we were like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do for stretch goals? Because, like, we had already planned for good paper. We already, it's already 444 pages. It's already hardback. Like, we we really were just like, shit, you know? And people were like, what do we get for a stretch goal if it gets to this amount? And I'm like, I don't know. It gets delivered on time. You know, like, I feel <laughs> like that's the win right there. So. Yeah, th- this this the success of this. It's a reminder that, unlike what Jerry says, you know, people are thinking about artists, and yeah. people, you know, it feels really good to know that like people care, you know, like sure people will listen to this podcast. Like somebody you don't know is going to listen to this. Like that's bonkers. You know what yeah. I mean? And like creating work that doesn't get thrown away is like bonkers to me. So the fact that we we sold like 550 books, you know, with very little like social media presence, because I'm just I'm totally uh uh an introvert. Um like every once in a while, like it really just kind of hits me like, oh, my God, you know, like we're putting out a book. People care. Yeah, I don't have to, you know, siphon out of my retirement fund. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, that's that's inspiring to me as well, too, you know, with uh, Interlocutor. And then this podcast is relatively new and I'm not that great at like doing the, the kind of money hustle thing, Yeah, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, anybody out there got a Patreon? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, please. <laughs> well, like, you know, I brought up wrestling before. Uh-huh. And, like, one of the things I carry with me is a speech that Paul Heyman did when he was running ECW. And he said, you know, put the work out there. You're going to turn some people on and you're going to turn some people off. But if you just do what you know is right, you'll t- you'll keep turning more and more people on, you yeah. know? And, yeah. you know, I have friends who have like 100,000 followers on Instagram, but they can't sell 25 prints, you know, because people are there just for the content, you know? Yeah. You know, and one thing too about social media that's really kind of surprised me since I've been running this magazine is a lot of times um, the posts uh, that get the most attention on social media for whatever it's about, you know, whatever interview I'm promoting often does not translate to actual views of the interview, (laughs) you know. Uh, It doesn't seem to have any real correlation or maybe I'm doing something wrong. I hate, so I really, really 
kind of hate social media in general, but it's a necessary evil, et cetera, you know, but I, I, the algorithm, man, <laughs> what's that? You have to chase the algorithm. Chase the algorithm. Yeah, I know. But I mean, it's just been surprising to me sometimes I'll, with, uh, you know, very on Instagram in particular, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of rhyme or reason to, um, like I'll get a huge amount of views or likes on a, on a certain post and it doesn't translate to any unique views on the, the site. So it's, it's not, you know, like converting, you know, or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes the ones that get hardly any attention on social media, get the most attention on the site. So I don't, I don't even know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, how to, how to even like kind of tweak that or even have a lot of patience for it. You and know? it like, it like, kills the spirit like it shouldn't mm-hmm. like you shouldn't in theory care what you know random person is clicking like but like we do and i i eventually we've been trained to in a lot of ways you know yeah but like i like two weeks ago i just went through and like deleted i think 85 percent of my instagram huh I just was like, I can't, I can't keep up with this. Yeah. And I can't keep wondering, you know, I, I, you know, people are going to find me or they're not, but like, again, going back to the, I have a, you know, people who have a hundred thousand followers who can barely get by. And, you know, for me, I'm like, holy shit, I funded my book and I have, not even a tenth of their followers. So what does it what does it mean? And for me, it's you know, find your people, find your audience, be extraordinarily grateful, you know, overserve mm-hmm. everything. You know, like this book is like, I don't know how I can make it better. And I know that whoever bought stuff, regardless of tears, I'm throwing in extras because I'm just so thankful that the that that people followed me yeah you're making it so yeah i mean you look at so many big rock stars who are huge and they don't appreciate it and then eventually everybody leaves and they treated everybody like garbage so they don't have those people who will still show up for the state fair to see them (laughs) i don't want to be that no, no. I'll be, in a, I'll be in a coffee house instead, you know. <laughs> caffeine. So when do you have do you have a projected date for the release, like official release? We book? it's gone to print, right? It goes to print in 10 days. Okay. Uh we are getting final edits right now. We have our uh final production meeting with the printer. They always like good managers do they're like it should be here in october and we're hoping that you know because they're overestimating it'll actually be here in september so all right and then and then i go on a book tour (laughs) (laughs) love it see what happens yeah all right man well it was great talking with you jeff it was fantastic to talk to you. I really love what you're doing. Oh, I thank dove you. into the the magazine. I listened to your podcast. You're doing great work, and I hope you keep it up. I hope uh, 
my interview with you doesn't lose you people. <laughs> no, well, I mean, come on, you were you were inspired. You inspired me. You gave me like more hope. <laughs> if this you know? moron, if this moron can put together <laughs> a whole sentence, I'm doing great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because it is like, well, it's it's strange too, like with running like a um, digital only magazine, um, and and I, I really don't have like physical media. I don't have like print copies of the magazine. So there's a weird kind of intangibility to that as well. Mm-hmm. That feels really ephemeral, and it's kind of hard to, you know, like envision the people who are actually out there consuming it or you know, yeah, into it. Um, so yeah, that's that's one thing that I've definitely and I've been this has been like about three and a half years that I've been doing this and it was you know it's passion project and seeing where it goes and it's been fun but there's all definitely moments where I'm like who cares who's actually like really reading this and you know yeah. and I'm also going against the grain where I'm doing like long with the with the online edition like very long form in depth interviews mm-hmm. you know which is the so anti kind of short form content which is. Yeah. You're not you know, doing the you're not doing the BuzzFeed, you know, 10 things about Jeffrey Everett. You're not you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No list what were they called? Listicles? Listicles. That anymore. Yeah. Yeah, because anything that rhymes with testicles has to be good. <laughs> Clear of, yeah. 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 Subliminal. Love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs>